0: hi everyone welcome to part two with graciella if you haven't caught up on part one please go check it out and then come back and join us for the part two thank you all. now you're no longer in the air force and uh, so let's jump to your transitioning out of the air force because a lot of veterans struggle with that. So, what was uh, your transition like when you 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 got out? And um, did you did you, you didn't retire in the from the air force, right? So, um, was that of a choice? Or would... Yeah, it
1: was very intentional. Okay, very intentional. So, um, and again, this is part of the, you know, believing that you are the the captain of your own life and that you can make these choices. So remember my commitment to the Air Force was seven years. Yes. Okay, um, for flying. So that meant um, that, you know, around the six and a half year point, I was really wondering if I was going to stay or go. And uh, I started my master's program. And I knew that was a requirement to make major. I had the wings already, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have a master's degree. And I had already been to squadron officer school, which is like the professional military education that captains go to. um, You know, if you want to be serious about making majors. So I had done the course in Alabama. I had done the aeronautical rating and gone to combat. And all I needed was a master's degree. Then it'd be obvious that I'm going to be promoted. Right. That's what they said. So. Like, okay, so I started my master's degree in international business management and global marketing because I had you know, uh, interest in the wireless communication industry because of my time in Italy. So I had this idea of like, that technology is really fascinating. So I completed the master's when I was working for the embassy in Ecuador and I came back and, oh, and I could have asked the Air Force to pay for it, but then I would have added two more years to my commitment. So I found other money. I found uh, American Association of University Women that paid for graduate degrees for women. So they paid for my graduate degree. And then I didn't have to stay anymore, right? But then it came the decision point. You know, I I said, I want to stay. I'd like to stay, make major, and move to Okinawa. My husband's Japanese. I've seen a little bit of Asia now, and I'm in love with Asia, and I want to see more, right? So they have KC-135s in Okinawa, so let me move. They wouldn't let me move. Mm. They said, no, we're understaffed. We're like 78% staff or navigators, so we can't let you move. Like, I've been here at Fairchild for seven years. I've never moved, right? They're like, sorry, we're not going to let you move because we need you here. Like, well, I'm tired of being here. (laughs) So let me move and I'll stay in the air force and I'll stay for my majors board, but they wouldn't let me move. And then the major that I was working for, he said, well, you know, if you make major, you know, what's going to happen. I said, what, they're going to let me go to Okinawa. He says, no, when you make major as a navigator, they need you at AMC headquarters Air mobility command at Scott air force base, Illinois. I'm like, I don't want to go do a desk job in Illinois after all this that I've done. Are you kidding? So it, it really became a moment of, you know i've done my obligation and you know th- this speaks to the negotiation that anybody can do in a job right like i've done what i said i was going to do and what you have next for me is really not of interest at all so you know let me counter that proposition and say promote me and then send me to japan to okinawa no that's not where they send you because you know they need you at headquarters I'm like okay well if that's my choice then i don't want to be here anymore and i'm leaving and it's very powerful to make that decision, you know, that you've done your commitment. You know that if you stay, it's not going to be what you want. They're going to take you out of the airplane to get yeah. your staff work. And I'm going to be in Illinois doing staff work. And I'm like, why would I want to do that? You know, and so that's not why I'm here, right? And so it became that. It was a very intentional decision. And it was pretty much nine and a half years of service with my master's degree in hand. And I tried to negotiate staying, and it was a Mm. no-go. I put my papers in. Um, Two months before I was going to get out, we had a new uh, operations group commander. And he had this list, Rafael, this long of officers that were leaving. Okay, He just had this long list. So they had a big retention problem. And so he says, I want to talk to every officer that's leaving. I want to know why they're leaving. Because he was like, he couldn't believe how many people were leaving. So he seriously set appointments up with each of us. Okay? Two months before my 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 end date. So I'm like, oh, I can't wait to tell him the story, right? So I told him this whole story. And he looks at me and he says, wait, so you wanted to stay in the Air Force and continue your career? I said, yeah, of course I did. But I wanted to continue flying yeah. <laughs> and being an instructor navigator. And I wanted to continue on you know, in another base where they also need me. And my husband's Japanese. It would be like this perfect fit, but they wouldn't. He says, "Well, if I can get you orders to Okinawa now, will you stay?" I said, "No, not now. I'm already interviewing in Silicon Valley for my next career. You know that door's already closed." So he tried really hard to keep me, but I'm like, "Nope," because at that point, you know, I'm a decisive person. Once my decision's made, that's it. You know, I'm going forward, and uh, and that's that's how it worked out. Um, but it, it was it was. It was weird, you know, like he was like, oh, I can get you orders. I'm like, no, that that's that's already done. So very intentional. And yeah. it, it was the right decision. It was the yeah. right decision. That, that, because...
0: that's, that's what I was just about to, be, to say. That yeah. It was the right decision.
1: Yeah.
0: I know I, yeah. I would if I'd been given an offer like that, I probably would have failed for it. <laughs> that's why I, I'm struggling not to laugh here because well. Well, uh, you know, and that's, yeah. that's
1: the thing. Right. And that's, um, you know, that's why the transition experiences are, and I, I'm going tie with the transition, but this, this moment, it's like, you know, I finished my master's degree. Mm-hmm. I have been interviewing with the telecommunications industry. I'm fascinated by the technology. I want to be a business person. I love writing and speaking and they, you know, they're, they have global marketing managers in these companies and, and the work is global, right? So I could keep traveling globally if I work in telecom for a a European company. So I was like, wow, I could actually go do what I want to do versus where the Air Force needs me to be. And that freedom to to choose, that's what terrifies people when they're leaving the military who don't know what they want to do. That Mm. freedom is terrifying because they're used to being told what to do. For me, it was like, oh, God, I can do all of this stuff. And I want to go do that. i already chosen. And so then to have somebody say, wait, I can still get you those orders to the place you wanted to go. By then, it was like, nah, I really, I didn't want it at that point. So the transition. Okay. You know, I tell people all the time. I just wrote this this morning. You know, people are afraid to separate from the military for a lot of reasons. There's actually like this fear, right? Not everybody, but many people have a fear. And what I was told by my mentors, which were women and a couple of women veterans, like, don't ever think about this as you're leaving the military, right? Because that's kind of like a negative feel to it. Like, I'm done with you, right? I'm, yeah. leave, I'm divorced. I, I never thought that. I was like, look at all this stuff that there's to do in the world. I can't wait to go do it. So I was always going to something, which is why it wasn't scary. Mm. Like, I, I had interviewed with all these executives while I was in Ecuador and I was doing my thesis down there. And so I was really getting excited about the industry. And they kept saying, yeah, well you speak Spanish, you speak Italian, you speak, we'll hire you for Telecom Italia over here. We'll hire you at Telefonica de España. So I was like, oh, this is so cool. And so that mindset is so important for people when they're leaving the military is if you feel like you're leaving the military, then you might be scared because it's like a giant void of, I don't know what. Right. But if you've done your networking and you're thinking and you are reading and you're meeting people and you're excited about something, there's no fear because you're going to something and you're making choices about how you're going to do it. See, there it is again. How, Yes. how can I transition from this military jet to an industry where I have no experience to do a job I've never done. Like how, how can I do it? And the answer is with people that want you to succeed. There's, Mm -hmm. here's another little gem. Okay. You will be successful when you surround yourself with people who want you to be successful because we all know people who would like us to fail. We all know people who are predicting and wish us to fail especially when we've already been succeeded. they just can't wait to see you fall on your face, right? True. But when you surround yourself with people that are just devoted to seeing you get your first civilian job, to seeing you get that interview, to seeing you transform into the next thing you're going to do when you're surrounded by people who just want that for you, it's going to happen. Hmm. And, and that's literally how I did it. It wasn't easy but it was smooth because i was literally surrounded by a group of women in spokane washington that's where i was stationed at fairchild who brought me into this networking circle 6 months before i got out you know pretty much when i put my papers in yeah one was a mentor at the base one was 15 20 years older she's a vietnam vet okay that combination of recently separated veteran and Somebody who's been out a long time, who has an amazing business business network, that is one of the pieces of advice I give people right there. Hmm. You need not everybody who just got out because they're still trying to figure it out, right? Yes. You also need people who, you know, veterans who've been out for 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years who have these incredible global business contacts. That combination is what I had. And they just embraced me and mentored me, taught me about personal branding taught me how to do informational interviews everything i teach now to people leaving the military they just wrapped their arms around me and they stayed with me until i signed that offer letter at that job and they were with me when i got other offer letters that had nothing to do with what i said i wanted to do and yeah. they told me to turn those jobs down which was you know weird but I'm like that's not what you said you wanted. Why would you take that job in Phoenix? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh yeah, I don't like the desert. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so they're with you, so you don't make bad decisions with your this this you know volatile time of your life. And if you just go take the first job that comes, yeah, then you're going to regret it. And that's why so many veterans end up somewhere they don't belong. They don't fit. It was like this desperation, this fear, right? And so having that community, Raphael, of, of of people mentoring and they're you know they're keeping you accountable to your dream the next dream and coaching you with the skills you don't have that's the that's the secret right there
0: yes i can yeah i did none of that so um i i I wasn't afraid of leaving Mm -hmm. but you know because you know for on the unlisted side it's like when you're saying you're stepping out they keep throwing they kept throwing that but, you know, the economy is rough. People, you know, people don't, the economy is rough. And, you know, and I was like, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'll survive. I, I don't think I'll just step out and die immediately, you know. And yeah. there was someone who I knew who had six kids. Mm-hmm. He never became a citizen while seven, mm-hmm. And he got out and went to school with his GI Bill. And yeah. I was like, so I always checked with him once in a while. Like, how you doing? And I say, I'm good. I'm like, don't don't you feel like coming back? Because I, I keep hearing from everybody around me, like, oh, everyone who stepped out, they they they, they want to come back the next day. And he said, nope, I don't. No. <laughs> uh, I'm good. I'm, I'm good with the decision I made. I was like, huh? He has six kids. I know his wife is a full time mom. So yeah, if he's not panicking and not stressing out. Um, okay. Well, I think I I made the right decision then. So yeah. But, but I, I wanted to stay overseas, which was the the, the 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 only thing that would have made me re-enlist, and yeah. they they said no. I have to come back to they. The, the detail I in uh was uh specifically said I should go to Norfolk and didn't write to me. Wrote to my department head instead. So I was uh, like I was really pissed that they did that and I was like, well, I got six months left. So I'll just use it and I'm I'm not I'm not going to re-enlist and I'll get out. And towards yeah. my end, something like my last two weeks, the person who made the offer to me that, oh, I, I know a detail we can we we, we we can extend you, man. We we can we'll get you some something in Japan. you like, you wanna be on a boat in Japan? Yeah but if you stay, stay in the navy, it's dangerous out there. I was like, um, mm. <laughs> you never treated me good all this time in the Navy. You were you were one of the people who always tried to get me in trouble, and you were never nice to me. And right. two weeks to my getting out, you're going to promise me the, the place I wanted to go to all this time. And yeah, that, that was the lead. If it was someone else, I probably would have taken that offer. <laughs> but that was the only <laughs> thing I mean. Say, nah, I'm not even going to listen to you because, yeah, you, you can't just be nice to me on my last two weeks and start switching and like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm like, you, you knew you knew. Two, three months ago that I was getting out, you you, you didn't yeah. think to be nice. And then you thought I was bluffing or what? And then you saw me packing my stuff now like, oh, he's serious. He's getting out. Okay.
1: So we had similar experiences, yeah. didn't we? Like the last minute, they try to keep you. But that, that's why I say, like, make your decision and then make it the right decision. Just yeah, make the, it. The, the only, the only mistake
0: I made was there was no um, mentor. I, I just, I was bad at that. Never having a mentor, I never, I never really figure that out and never had a network. I had a network, but I planned it was for a different way. I had set it up for the future, not for the, the immediate. So when I got out, yeah, I struggled because eventually there was one time I even picked up the phone and I said, oh, maybe I should I should go back. And then I thought about it I'm like, ah, now I'm not going back. <laughs>
1: Right. Well, you know, I understand that because there's this word, I'm sure you've heard it, you know, we are institutionalized when we're there. Right. Um, You know, when I, when I started writing this book, I, I actually said it like getting out of the military, the transition is the exact opposite of when you join. Yes. And that's kind of an obvious thing, but here's what I mean. You know, when you go in, there's like months of transforming you, you know, it starts with the haircut and then here's your uniform to make you part of the collective, right? If you wanna use a yes. Star Trek Borg collective <laughs> right? sci-fi, right? We're gonna be part of the collective. So we have to look the same, dress the same, have short hair, blah, 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 follow these rules, right? And it's very scripted and everybody that's helping us as we come into the military is an expert in training you that basic or they're training you in your specialized technical field you've got all these experts that are showing you how to do it how to become a sailor how to become an aviator you got all this expertise and they're with you and they're making sure you do it there's tests and they make sure you know how to do it right yes what happens when you get out it's like the wild west they Mm -hmm. put people (laughs) uh the department of Labor comes in with their people that haven't had to look for jobs in 20 years and give you these workshops that haven't changed since 1970 something, right?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, there's no expertise. They're not They're not handing you off to uh, somebody to, to learn how to be a marketing person if you want to go work at a marketing job. Nobody does that. They just tell you all this general stuff. And then you're like, what? And, and it's the institutionalization that we're coming out of it. And then they try to train you with this program, but God, if they did that coming in, we would be like a disaster. We would never have any professionals. So that's why it has to be us doing it. Right. And for each other doing it Yeah. Uh, and surrounding each other with those connections and insisting that you tell your story to intrigue Somebody, So that you can get the attention and you get the interview and then they ask for your resume. Uh, That's how civilians do it. We just don't know that because we haven't been civilians. Mm. And that's why it feels so hard is because we're now in this civilian land, uh, trying to get attention and interviews, but we don't have the skills to do it. And we're in an economy where all the civilians running around already know how to do it. So there's like this immediate disadvantage until somebody comes along and coaches you on, because they know how to do it. And I think that's the most important thing we can do for each other is surround each other with those skills.
0: Yeah. So now let's jump out, let's jump away from the, from the air force and the military and, uh, Go to uh, you. You have a Mexican background. You're married to mm-hmm. a, Jap- uh, a Japanese husband, mm-hmm. and you've been to quite a few countries.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When it comes to food, where does your favorite food come from?
1: Oh who, man! What,
0: what 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 food owns your heart? So you might have to betray one region or one place or. Somebody. See,
1: that's the thing, you know, I, 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 remember, I remember hearing you talking about this with one of your guests, right? Um, okay, so from my own Mexican culture, the food that I love and only prepared one time with my mother because it's so damn labor-intensive, it's called chile rellenos, mm.
0: and these tasty. are your,
1: like, yeah, well, these are your, like, long chilies, like the long ones that are probably... 8 inches long and they're yeah. like the Anaheim peppers or the poblano peppers and they're medium spicy but they're long and you roast them on the grill first they get all nice and toasted okay mm. and then you cut them open and stuff cheese inside them oh my god i'm so hungry now <laughs> you <laughs> stuff cheese inside them and then you take the stuffed and uh peppers and then you roll them in like this nice batter with like you know egg and flour and salt and pepper and then you just cook them up so it is a battered chili pepper with cheese inside Mm. and then you make a little red salsita and you put on the top so good but it is just a labor-intensive thing so that's my favorite dish to buy at restaurants um i love okay then my spanish side i love to make gazpacho which is Mm. have you heard of gazpacho
0: sounds familiar
1: So this is so easy. Go, go do this. Like you can go do this. Like right now when we finish talking, just get some fresh peppers, tomatoes, cilantro, parsley, green onions, tomato juice, garlic, blend it. It's a cold tomato vegetable soup. And then you just cook up some shrimp and you garnish it, sprinkle some green onions on top. It's a cold, a cold soup just called gazpacho and you can ah. find lots of recipes but the key ingredient somewhere I've
0: yeah something. it's a great
1: for a it, summer it, day it has so a right? familiar
0: ring to it so I probably, maybe i've probably tried it
1: so good mm. but for 28 years i've been married to a japanese man so i am in love with shabu shabu as much as i'm in love with sashimi or okonomiyaki which is a uh, like a potato pancake kind of thing that you put a uh, calamari in it and you cook it up on a grill it's from Kyoto um we eat all the Japanese food but my favorite is shabu shabu
0: Shabu which is
1: um you might know it as a hot pot Ah. so this is like uh like a bowl and you have like you know so uh, bonito flakes and some seaweed and so like a broth that's boiling yes and you get very thinly sliced beef pork lamb chicken raw but thinly sliced Yeah, and then you pick up your chopsticks. Oh, and then like lots of mushrooms and, um, cabbage. Um, so lots of vegetables and you pick up your meat and your vegetables, you throw them in the, in the pot and then you just pick up your meat and you dip it with your chopsticks in the hot boiling pot in the middle of the table. And, you know, the the reason it's called shabu shabu is because, like, you're supposed to dip it as long as it takes you to go shabu, Ah, shabu, like five seconds, and then it's cooked. So then you put it in these little sauces, and then you eat it. And then you can just, you know, eat the mushrooms coming out and the cabbage. So it's basically meat and vegetables. It's so good. So, yeah, we're blessed with all of that food in this multicultural family of ours. And we've been known to sit down and have salmon, rice, furikake, which is like the little sprinkles on top of the white rice, a Japanese meal. Mm-hmm. But then on the side, you know, we've got the um, the guacamole with the spicy jalapeños from the garden. And yeah. so you can have your guac with your Japanese food. <laughs> so we <laughs> eat like that all the time. We just blend everything. So, yeah.
0: Uh, if, if, um, a fellow shipmates just called me a few days ago and, um he he's he's my, my one of my best friends from the navy and um he's also my namesake so mm-hmm. he called me and was like um i have a nigerian here with me he's a recruiter now in in florida and he said i have a nigerian here with me he said nigerians don't eat sushi i said oh, I, I i understand this argument um he's like let I i placed it. we 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 took we took bets and i said I'm going to take his money today because I know in Nigeria I eat sushi. So <laughs> he's like, no, that's not in Nigerian. So they put, they put me on the yeah. phone and I'm like, um, hello, how you doing? And I'm like, so I mean, he's like, so he really eats raw food? And he's like, I'm like, calm down, calm down. It's it's not like you think, it's not like some, they just cut the fish out of the the water and start eating. <laughs> there, there's food like that if you want, but I, I can't do that type. But sushi is not like that. And... He's like, no. well, I'm a, and he, I'm a fisher starts,
1: woman. He starts freak, yeah. freaking
0: out. I'm like, you know what? Try it. I, I used to be like you. And yeah. the way I tried it, yeah. I was like, mm, this is good. You know what? I, I'll, go in, in yeah. <laughs> I, I'll go protest in the corner. But keep it coming. I'll go protest in the corner. Well, that's
1: the whole thing, you know, like, you know, culturally, you know, a lot of things are an acquired taste. And yeah. some things that some people eat just are so bizarre to other people. But, you know, if you're intellectually curious and you travel the world, you just try everything. That's yeah, that's, that's, that's I'm I the way everything.
0: to go.
1: Do <laughs> <laughs> your point. You know, my husband and I go fishing. Right. And I remember uh, fishing off the coast of San Diego and we caught a um, mackerel, a mackerel. Oh. And they're called Saba in Japanese, but it's like very dark meat and like natural, you know, the omega-3 oils. Yeah. And literally, he just got his knife out and just. I'm like, oh, I'll give you some. <laughs>
0: so we're oh, just it.
1: Most most people eat <laughs> it, you know? But it's like, I'm sorry, this is like as fresh as it's going to be. So we we are those people that will cut the fish open and fillet it right there on the boat and start eating it. But yeah, that's I might
0: I might pass out I...
1: <laughs> <laughs> But that's who I've become. You know, I'm an yeah. eats Fish. She pulls yeah. fish out of the ocean and just eats it right there because that's that's what I do. I've been around it for almost. I mean, three I'm
0: f- I'm from the Riverine tribe in Nigeria and I I mm-hmm. still it, yeah it, it takes a little walk for me to get to eating fish like smoke you got to smoke it up you know grill it and well yeah yeah River that that fish. that's yeah. that, that's my favorite yeah. fish is grilled yeah but yes yeah it's like uh yeah yeah but yeah, sushi yeah that that that's, yeah. that's me. Well, I'm when, when I
1: catch. When I catch fish in the river, it's always cooked. So I agree with you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that Nigerian is gonna listen now. And be like, "Oh no, I knew this guy's
1: no, no, no.
0: he's gonna freak out." <laughs> uh, trust me, it's safe. Don't worry, it's safe. That's all good.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh,
0: so um, let me see. Um, uh, yeah, it's uh, so you now. Moved on from the military life, and you are now um, an entrepreneur. You're into publishing, Latino rating. Let's uh, touch on Latino rating. How did you get into how did How did that come about, and what's the whole story about Latino rating?
1: So my first role after the military was in Silicon Valley as global marketing manager for Siemens, the German multinational. Yes. Uh, technology company in Mm -hmm. the communication space so pretty much exactly what I said I wanted to go do I, I found my way there um networked my way there with help um probably and so I was in charge of marketing communication software to fortune 300 companies worldwide you know big companies big deals hardware software all of that uh but about six years into it i started running the corporate social responsibility part the the green enterprise initiative if you will you know how can technology reduce your global footprint how can technology oh look at the irony of our pandemic mm-hmm. how can technology make it possible for your employees to work from anywhere
0: mm-hmm.
1: business continuity so yep. we made all that technology and you know it was early and so we had to listen to all the executives who i don't want my people working at home I want them in the office and I want to see the cars in the parking lot right I think it's so ironic because you know 20 years later like you better have that technology right yeah um but it was in that role in the corporate social responsibility role that I started really getting into corporate sustainability and green economy and innovation innovation as if the planet matters You know, innovation as if we want to be smarter with our natural resources. I really started getting into that world, Raphael. And so President Obama had just been elected and it was early 2009. And I wrote an article. I had a a magazine editor that had called me. I was doing a lot of freelance writing. I was working over here, but I was doing freelance writing because I've always been a writer and uh, Bruce called me from National Society of Hispanic MBAs. And he says, hey, I'd like you to write the feature article again. Do you have any ideas for the conference issue? So he's just calling me to see if I can come up with an idea for his magazine, right? And I was driving to work. And I said, you know what, I would like to explore um, As the green economy really gets going and as we start to rethink how industry is operating in a variety of industries and and trying to be more sustainable about how we operate, what role do Latinos have in this? Mm. Because culturally, remember my childhood story? Yes. Culturally, we've always made something from whatever was left over. Culturally, we've always been creative. You know, you take your curtains and you're tied to the curtains, you make dresses for the girls. <laughs> I mean, it was what my grandmother did. And, and I, I just, it was so natural to like have something like lumber and then make something else. So, like always creating, right? And so I wanted to know, but culturally, does that translate into business innovation? Do Latinos and Latinas grow up? And decide to innovate and conserve in a business setting. I I didn't know, right? It was this question. So, but because of where I was working and because this phone call with the National Society of Hispanic MBAs, that was my opportunity. I said, I think I can find people to interview to find where we are involved in innovating in the green economy. But I honestly didn't And he says, do you have people to interview? I said, yep, I've got people I can interview. I can, I can do this. I didn't have anybody that I could interview, but I knew that I could figure it out and I could network my way to the people. Right. And so it just took some phone calls. And all of a sudden I had like 33 people who were working at corporations who had their own small businesses who had their own packaging company of 100% post-consumer weight packaging versus what the industry usually does. All of a sudden, I had like all these people sending me people. Oh, you need to connect with this woman because her company makes um, underwater turbines at rivers, you know, Mm. like alternative energy. So all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, we're everywhere. We are innovating all over the place and nobody knows. The invisible, technically amazing innovative inventor, Latinos and Latinas. I don't see that on CNN. So that was it. That was it. It was the opportunity to write the article. I wrote the article. I interviewed all 33 people. I wrote a little tiny something about each person. It was a long 3000 word article. So it was really short, short, tiny profiles. But you know, what happened is as I talked to each person, I got the same question you and I started out with I started in childhood you know is there a childhood memory that you can recall that is responsible for you being an innovator and a conservationist minded entrepreneur now as an adult Mm. that was my opening question and everybody had a story everybody had a story my mother used to make christmas trees out of whatever junk she found on the island of puerto rico she would just put stuff and like glue it on the wall and we'd have like this cool christmas tree thing i heard so many stories growing up in a migrant worker camp in central valley umberto rincon making his own toys wow. trucks out of cardboard wheels out of bottle caps kites out of newspapers um the string from the rice bags mm-hmm. i mean i've got a thousand stories right and so i started realizing that this this core thing in the community was when you're growing up without stuff you make stuff on whatever you have yes. right and and so i started thinking well that's that's the word you're innovating from this Latino cultural perspective. And that's where I trademarked Latinovating, mm. because the stories are not, you know, first and foremost about Latinos. I mean, they are Latinos, that's the subtitle. But the stories in these books, and I'm writing the second one right now, these are innovation stories. These are stories about how do you raise a child as a thinker, as a creator, as an innovator? Because every single person I've interviewed has a story like that. And so for parents to see the kind of activities that kids did that led them to really understand that they could create, Mm -hmm. it's an amazing thing, right? For students, for college students, for teens, for anybody who wonders, well, who actually grows up and starts a company anyway? Because that's a whole risk averse adventure, right? Well, these are the stories of, of who does it, you know, who leaves their six figure income At a seven billion dollar company selling packaged goods, to start his own packaging company, like Dennis Salazar did in Chicago. Well, let's let's find out who he is and how he grew up and how he did it. And so these stories are about that: their childhood, to higher education, to industry, to entrepreneurship. And there's always a spark, right? There's a spark where they go, "Ah, I can do this better." Yeah, I've got fashion. I've got packaging, solar energy, um, all these different industries, but it's the thinking. And I think you can tell I'm excited about it because I just, I get obsessed with these entrepreneurs, with these, these handfuls of people who dare to start a business to do better than the status quo. I have like this obsession about it, and I'm writing the next 10 stories in LatinoVating volume two right now. I've got two more people to interview and then that book will be done. Awesome. But it's it's incredible because these are, the title is LatinoVating, Green American Jobs and the Latinos Creating Them. So it's an in your face title, Yeah. in your face. Latinos are creating the jobs, right? It's to change the narrative of who people say that Latinos are. And I'll tell you what, every single person is a child of immigrants. Every single person that I've interviewed, with the exception of one from Cuba, every single person was the first to go to college. So so there's so much commonality with the immigrant experience, immigrant story, and what happens when you arrive here and the opportunities that are available to you if you decide to go get them, right? Mm-hmm. And then what does that mean to then be one of the people that creates a business? As if the planet matters, right? Yeah. But at the same time, it is a business, so that you can create your own wealth and your own economic uh, legacy. And I just can't get enough of being with the Latino as I call them, because I spend hours and hours and hours with them, hearing the whole journey from how they grew up, you know, how they got here, who inspired them to go get their education, what did they create as kids. What did they study? If it had anything to do with what they do now, where they worked. And then when was that moment when they said, I got to start my own business, I, I oh, can do better. Yeah. And that whole continuum is fascinating. That's how that started. And I'm imagining that this is a whole series of these interviews because there's so many people and their stories are not told elsewhere. And they're economic stories. Yeah as much as their immigration stories or mm-hmm. innovation stories. And I just want a different narrative about the Latino community.
0: <laughs> we, we need a different narrative because we, we can't yeah. just keep allowing the same old negative stereotype, keep right. being thrown out there. And then someone uses that to build um, yep. negative energy to achieve the, the the same old goals and then uh, these are the yep. enemies and you know yep. and I I even know people who are immigrants from other communities and you know this one was talking to me I was like oh these Mexicans and I was like uh what do you mean by these Mexicans you exactly. well, well how do you think they're different from us like uh, we, we're right. all immigrants exactly. too. It's like yeah, but yeah. we had, we we. i was like um yeah, you 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 think if ICE shows up now, they hear both of us have accents. <laughs> they're not gonna yeah. throw us into a bus. They're gonna say, say "Oh, it's only these yeah. Mexicans they're looking for." Like nah, and yeah. but the, the, we, it's because we're not exposed to stories like this, and we right. only exposed to one narrative. And on t- the more we keep getting the right narrative out there, it mm-hmm. starts to getting unwired the brains of many right. people because they won't have the ammunition to fight back because even right now they're already losing in 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 the, in the publicity battle but they're still lashing on to oh this is the, this is the narrative that has always been in play and we know that's not yeah. true everybody knows that now mm-hmm. most people know that now but
1: right that's well, why we and need to keep you know, those pushing are very intentional narratives there. yeah those are very intentional stories so that uh, white America can keep thinking of Latinos and Hispanic people as Mexicans, even though they're from El Salvador or yeah. Argentina, <laughs> yeah, guess, right? You know. And they can keep thinking of them as other. They mm-hmm. can keep thinking of them as foreign. When we are like, we're everywhere and we're married with every race. Well, you know, there's diversity
0: and in there. The diversity is not recognized. How, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: how old was I before I realized it was even afro Latinos? Afro-Latinos in existence. Exactly. And I was like, wait a minute. I'd seen them as kids, but it just never occurred to me that those were Latinos too. They, right. They just Latinos were only yeah. uh, light-skinned. That's all that was considered Latinos. Right. And I was like, this right. narrative has, you know, I was getting only one narrative for a long time. So, yeah, so that, that had to go in play because if the person who was making that comment to me about these Mexicans, knew that there were Mexicans that looked like him, he wouldn't be saying these Mexicans, but he's exactly. not aware that there are Mexicans that look like exactly.
1: him. Exactly. I just want you to see this. So, this is a portrait of me with my kids. go like this.
0: Wow, look well, at them beautiful. So,
1: <laughs> if you if you saw her, if you saw her right here, let yeah. okay, me like that. Would you know she's Latina? Her name is Kotomi sato
0: yeah with that name and just the photo and without knowing you i probably would have gone with you know knowing what i know of japan now I probably she, would have,
1: she's asian right yeah
0: so, i would have just but without even knowing you knowing her that yeah. I, would, I would have just said japanese
1: this is kiyoshi sato same right uh, yeah this is my blind one this is milagro so she looks a little bit more Latina. She's got the curly hair and all that. Yeah. And her name is Milagro. So listen, her, her name is Milagro in Spanish and then Sato. So mm-hmm. you hear Milagro Sato in your brain short circuits Like what? Like who is she, right? I did that very intentionally. Because when you see all three of them, you see that in the United States of America, we who are Latinos are severely undercounted because you are running around using names like Kutomi Sato.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> so I never thought about that. We're
1: 60 that, that, million, that, but yeah. we're not 60 million. It's like so many more. So I love yeah. that.
0: That's a we're valid, incognito. That's a valid point. I, I, I never considered that, but yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's that's why you it can It's something I learn every you. day because, you know, it, yeah. it's it's it, that's why it, it's so diverse, the Latino community. And right. People. And and
1: so a lot of the work that I'm doing is to make that point. You know, is like you think you know Latinos, but you don't know the half of it.
0: Yes, yeah, <laughs> so, it's not one box. So Can't I'll just you feed something. them into one box. You know? Yeah, ah. exactly. Anyway. so I do
1: what I can do. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I have to start um, bringing this to an end. I would have loved to continue, but this is this is just beautiful. Um, so um, you. Uh, the head of Gracefully Global Group
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and with the pandemic going on, how has that affected you and what's the, just a brief synopsis of what's Gracefully Global Group about to those who don't know? Yeah.
1: So very simply, Gracefully Global Group and we're about to Celebrate our 10th birthday next month. So, oh, you know, awesome. yes, for Woo-hoo. longevity and entrepreneurship. <laughs> <all> Congrats. Right. <laughs> we are, yeah, it's a big deal yeah, to make it it to your 10th birthday, right? Oh,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, as a business. So, we are an award winning educational publishing, digital content, and marketing firm. So, all three types of content get generated from the company. The publishing arm, which is what we've been talking about with Innovating. Uh, That was the first book that we published. It's the first series Uh, But that's what it is. It's an educational publishing company and it's award-winning I think we've won something like 12 international literary awards for the literature and here's the mission we publish Award-winning literature to showcase the positive contributions of Latinos in the USA Full stop. That's what we do so whether it's Latino with wow. the entrepreneurship case studies that we discussed, or I'm going to show you the picture, or whether it's the bilingual children's books. I mean, look, look how beautiful these are. This is my really illustrator is the Air Force uh, veteran's daughter here. Oh, nice. So this is bilingual children's books about my military service. This is oh, literally wow. the plane, right? Wow. And so why did I do that? Well, my son inspired me when he called me Captain Mama uh when he was three. (laughs) But see, we're talking about refueling airplanes, right? We're talking about my service in English and Espanol. And very intentionally, I've got lady pilot, male co-pilot, and then the navigator's character based on me, and then the and the boom operator. And then he's the the crew chief um when the plane lands. So if you go like this, the air crew is three women and one guy. Okay. So it's very much about Captain Mama flying the plane. Okay. So again, in your face, Latinas, (laughs) mothers, women, hey, we serve, we fly, we wear uniforms, we are patriots and we happen to speak Spanish. That's right. So you see a theme going on here, right? It's like we're publishing literature to have these conversations Mm -hmm. about the role of women, uh, you know, what we actually do in the military uh, and the role of Latinos in industry. So, yeah, so it's, it's that, that um, that's my passion to write books that, Stimulate conversation, inspire children, inspire teenagers to go to college, to start businesses, to fly airplanes, to learn about the ROTC scholarships. Like everything that I've lived and everything that I write is to get those wheels turning in your mind about how can I do that?
0: Yeah.
1: Right. That's it. That's what I do. And the book we're about to publish next month is called Brand Before Your Resume. And that is. The, the transition story that I told you, the reason I was able to do it was because I learned that I am the only person that's going to tell my story in such an amazing way that people want to talk to me and find out more. Hmm. So they, the art of personal branding. So the way I described this new book, Raphael, it's, it's not a transition book because there's lots of books on how to oh, transition. Yeah. Like everybody wants to tell you how to transition because they did it. That's not I, what I'm I've doing. I've had
0: someone reach out to me on that too. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, I'm not doing that. Okay, I'm going, I'm going very tactical. And I am saying this is the first personal branding and marketing guidebook for the transitioning military community military spouses and veterans, so that you can adopt a marketing mindset. And struggle less with whatever you are doing next. Mm -hmm. It's about the marketing mindset. That's what it is. Messaging, marketing, targeting. It's an exercise. It's a guidebook. It's what I've been teaching for eight years at universities to student veterans. But again, what is it? It is so that you see on the cover, you're going to see a picture of me in my Air Force uniform standing by a plane. And it says your marketing guidebook. And your brain's going to short circuit. You're going to be like, why is there a marketing book with a military person, right? Mm-hmm. For the same reason that there's English and Spanish in front of a military airplane, because it's me. And because I want to bring marketing skills to the military community. And I want it to catch your eye and go, oh, I, my cousin's serving my child is serving, my neighbor is serving, and he's getting out. I need to get this book so that he can think like her, <laughs> right? Be a marketer yeah. and make the next part of your life happen. So it is a guidebook to uh, teach a marketing and personal branding mindset to our community. That's what it is. My story of transitions is in there, but I'm not telling you how to transition. I'm only telling you in the context of how important communicating your value And, you know, going out there to grab attention so that people want to know more how important that was and is. But the most unique thing I want to tell you is that you're going to go through this book and page after page between every chapter, you're going to see actual branding created by veterans that I've coached. Their actual branding is in the book so that you can see, wow, he didn't even say he was in the Navy, but he said this. Mm -hmm. He's saying he's an aspiring ocean engineer. And then he said some stuff and he talked a little bit about his service, but he never said he was a Navy veteran. He said something about his skill that's important to his future boss, future employer. So it's that craft. But again, it's literature to teach literature, to inspire. And I could have just done like a marketing book. Like I'm a marketing person. No, this book is about all the veterans that I've taught and what they did with their branding and how she got her job with the state of Washington and how he got his job with Intel because of what he did, because of what I taught and what he did for himself. Right. So this book is a marketing guidebook showcasing veterans.
0: Nice. Yes. I'm so excited. I
1: just got it. And I'm so excited. It's going to be printed in about five weeks. So
0: Awesome. I look forward to that too. So you got, three books I look I'm looking forward to already
1: there's four the this is this is the second in the children's books oh yes the first captain mama surprise
0: yeah yes Uh, second one the
1: first uh, one is good night captain mama and we're working on the third one right now oh so yeah
0: all right so let me see uh if I can squeeze one more question before it's almost time um I'll go with a fun
1: question.
0: Okay. Um, We'll we'll, we'll definitely have to do a part two down the line. We'll we'll arrange a part two later on. So I'll go with this fun question, which I'm pretty sure when when we do a part two, it'll be interesting because I'll still ask this question, but in a different way when we do a part two. So returning back to your being around different countries, going to different countries, coming from Mm -hmm. um, being part of a um, um, a multi-diverse family. Mm -hmm. When it comes to music,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. where does your heart belong to? Or your favorite?
1: That's an interesting question because there's the music that I listen to Mm -hmm. and then there's the music that I perform oh because i've been playing trombone since i was 10 all righty you didn't see that coming right no i
0: did not <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'm a trombonist the, I'm a the creativity
0: player. is just too much with you it's it keeps well it comes from every angle
1: <laughs> no, this, this, this is another childhood memory trombone since age 10 um I'm not one of the people that learn lots of instruments, like my my 16-year-old daughter now, she's learning lots of instruments, and all my kids play at least two instruments. But I was never that kid. I was the one instrument. I'm happy to have it. So let's see, music that I listen to, you know, my my daughter, Milagro, who um, who's blind and hearing impaired, um, that kid and I, we could listen to mariachis and cumbias and salsas and merengues and reggae like all the latin flavors we could listen to that all day long Mm -hmm. she loves carlos santana you know more rock
0: that's a good choice
1: and we love to dance so we all just put some music on and we'll just dance around that's what we can do on the deck inside the house that's just what we do that's that's very mexican thing to do It's like cook and dance right but I love performing with my trombone and, you know, I met my husband in college in the marching band at at Berkeley playing trombone. So that's, that's a weird love story, but he's a trombone. I'm saving that for the
0: part two. That's definitely going (laughs) to part two.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, so, you know, for that, I mean, like, you know, we love to play, yeah, we play Latin music, we play TV theme songs, we love playing holiday music, Christmas music, and the coolest thing of all now with a 16-year-old trombone player who also plays euphonium, that's my daughter Kotomi, and then my son Kiyoshi, like, I was just showing them to you, right? Yes. This is my uh, trombonist, and she plays euphonium, and then he plays uh, guitar and trombone, and she plays piano and guitar in the marching band, the, the bass guitar lovely so uh in, in the mariachi group but we have four trombone players wow two kids mom and dad so now we actually have a trombone quartet so favorite music that we like to play we'll do the game of thrones theme just for fun we'll just wow. get the music and play it at home uh and we love doing christmas music at you know at a church or just this year we will probably just go downtown to the plaza and just play and people may or may not be gathering, but we can go play.
0: You can still do that. Well, I saw people playing in Prospect Park um, recently. Yeah. And yeah, people we're still gather. You, you can safely, you know, you can maintain your distance and still appreciate Yeah, no, we're,
1: we're going to so. have some joy and mm-hmm. we're going to do it. But so uh, very, you know, I, I've always been into, you know, rock. And yeah, I, I was a child of the 80s. So I'm as happy with, you know, Rick Springfield and Wham and the Go-Go's and all that crazy 80s music that you jump up and down to, Oingo Boingo, <laughs> you know, as uh, as the Latin beats. But, you know, my heart is, it's rock. It's 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 Journey. It's The Who. It's, uh, you know, Carlos Santana. It's um, all of that. It's just a big mix, right? Yeah. But, yeah, we, we love to dance, too. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it's all of it. Um, uh, since since of course, you mentioned again, rock, and I jazz. Have to
0: ask, <laughs> okay, and jazz. What about from Japan? You got any rock or jazz artists from Japan that you, you are in love with?
1: You know I don't know any I don't uh you got me on that one, but I bet my 16 year old does because she's big time into jazz right now and she's mm-hmm. always listening to shows from Japan to to practice her Japanese so you got me I don't have an answer for you
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay I feel good <laughs> I <got one.
1: laughs> you totally stumped me <laughs> uh
0: no, I had to throw that in there I, I can't recall the movie I was watching and uh, there was a Japanese jazz um, band in that movie. And then later on, I was listening to some, I think it was a podcast or something. I can't, I'm trying to remember the interview, but yeah. they, they brought up Japanese jazz influences, uh, you know, American yeah. jazz artists influenced uh, lots of Japanese jazz, yeah. uh, the jazz
1: well, uh, music you know, scene in
0: Japan too. So it, it's, it's quite big over there.
1: Mm-hmm. you talked about traveling. You grandparents. about traveling with grandparents. Uh, three years ago, uh, we went to Japan with my husband's parents um, who are from the Northern Island of Japan, Hokkaido. And one of the cool memories there, we took the kids and it was a you know, heritage trip to travel with your grandparents to the homeland, right? Yes. And when we were there, it was during school. So they had to do independent study and all that. But one of the things we had to do, because my daughter was in band, the teacher assigned, she says, you know, if you can find a live performance and attend it. Wow. And then take notes during the performance and talk about dynamics. And so she gave her this. Mm-hmm. So we found this concert hall in Sapporo, Japan, and we went to this, you know, classical kind of mix. But it was a high school band, and like everybody but four musicians were girls. Wow. So you had girls playing tubas and everything. My daughter was like, wow, you know, I, I think that influenced her because she plays the euphonium now you know she wants to play tuba but it was this entire band in this beautiful concert hall that was playing uh you know american rock tunes they were playing harry potter theme they were playing classical music uh european classical they were playing some some jazz from japanese artists it was like this incredible concert Mm -hmm. and i will never forget it but that was because it was assigned that we go to a live performance right So, yeah, it's uh, music is life. You know, my my blind daughter, Milado, she says, music takes me everywhere. She just goes, "Ah, music takes me everywhere. Music makes me feel different feelings. She says this, and and that's she's right. I I can
0: relate to that. Music does the same for me. It takes me to worlds that I've never been to. I may never be there, but music takes me there. And even my daughter before she's she's just turned two and music is already taken out of places because i can tell she does a certain dance now when she's she just hears a tune for the first time and then there's that dance move that starts coming out and i'm like oh she likes this one yeah. and it doesn't matter it's if it's jazz or reggae or afro hip-hop it's whatever it is she just hears it then that dance move comes out and then she's like i'm like okay well she's just yeah she's down with it yeah. it's
1: a universal it's a universal love it really really is and you know especially so for my daughter who doesn't see you know music is just it's it's so important to to dissect with her ears Mm. and then to be able to actually turn around and perform it and you know that's that's hard because then i have to braille with her Mm. so that she knows the notes Mm. it's a whole other process to to get her to learn music but She's got perfect pitch, so she also hears and can play. But, you know, for the guitar run, she needs to know, like, the chords and the combinations. And so it's just another thing to figure out, right? How can I help my daughter who's blind become a mariachi musician? <laughs>
0: that, you, <laughs> yeah. you, you, How you, can you? I question? You are a superwoman. I? That's just... That's the definition. you definitely just a superwoman. It's, it, it's you. It's just because... Yeah, there's so many gems, but like I said, we have we are definitely going to, going to do a part two, and we'll, we'll, we'll touch more on your family, and hopefully we can have your husband for part two because there's some questions Ooh. I would like to twist a little bit, and then get yes. his answers on on those. <laughs> yeah, he's a
1: fascinating guy. I mean, he was born in Japan. He came here when he was two, so you know he's the guy that. You Know Japanese women meet him and say, Oh, you're not Japanese, you're American. He's like, What? (laughs) (laughs) It's that story, right? Uh, no, you're not really Japanese because you like to cook, and Japanese men make their wives.
0: Goodness, Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, uh, on on that, I'm disqualified too from being in Nigeria. And according to uh, a former classmate, he he called me on a video call and saw me cooking. I was like, What are you doing? I, I feel like cooking, I'm cooking, and he says, Uh, don't you have a wife? <laughs> I said, well, yeah, she can cook, but um, I like to cook, too. So <laughs> right. if I like to cook, I'm right. cooking, and I can cook. Yeah. I cook really good. So what's wrong yeah. with cooking? My, my daughter likes the food I cook. So, yeah. The, like,
1: the answer is I cook because I like to eat.
0: And his reply to that is, that like, uh, that's why you need an African wife. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, um, you know what? You you sound like you 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 need a housemaid. You not you don't need a wife. You need a housemaid because you don't exactly. go marry a housemaid. Well, that's it. That, that's
1: uh, I would love for you to interview my husband because he's got all those stories of you know being not enough of this and being okay. between the cultures. But you know, for him, he knows who he is yeah. and. You know, like, like you just roll your eyes and go, Oh God, where I can't believe you still think that way. But no, he's got his own set of great stories and uh, he, he's a fascinating guy. So for sure, I will connect you guys. Alrighty.
0: Yes. So I um, have to ask the final question. Mm-hmm. What would you like to leave the audience with? Um, could be a word of advice. Could be a line from a, your one of your, um, your books. Could be a favorite mm-hmm. quote. Could be from one of your songs that you like or could be from a song you've performed, but just something you like to leave the audience with. I know you've dropped a lot of gems already, but yeah, just something you, you know.
1: Well, I I think, um, you know, for, for young people who are listening to your podcast, right. For people who are making decisions, you know, as they enter adulthood, as young adults of what to do next. And, you know, there's so many choices and where do you start? It's, I like to say this when I speak at schools is whatever that thing is that scares you know that that's where you're supposed to go. And that on the other side of fear Mm. is the best version of yourself. Because the thing that you really want to do, the thing that, that scares you because you think you might fail or you're not good enough, or you don't know anybody who did whatever that thing is that you're telling yourself of why you're so scared you need to just face that thing head on and and go over under around the fear because on the other side of it that that's the best version of you and if you scare yourself out of it then you're not going to know who that could have been right yeah. that's one of my most important pieces of advice for for that age group for military people transitioning i'll say what i said earlier is you'll be successful in your transition you'll be successful you know even if you just lost your job There's a lot of people that transition in any transition, you will be successful when you surround yourself with people who want you to be successful, going at it alone. You're just going to despair. You're going to think that you're worthless. You're going to devalue yourself. You're going to lose your confidence because you're by yourself trying to do all this stuff. Yes. And the magic and the success comes in the community Mm. and the networking and the reaching out and the contacts I just introduced, you know, you and I catch on LinkedIn. If you go look, just today I introduced a woman veteran who just completed her PhD to my LinkedIn family because she's been working really hard on her branding since she defended her dissertation. She now knows what she wants to do. She's been through my coaching. And I said, You're ready to shine. So let me use what you came up with to introduce you to my community. I'm going to tag seven people that I know need to meet you and that. They can connect you to their networks because they know who's hiring for what you want to do. So I'm surrounding her with my network, and then there are people are just coming and offering, you know, connections. That is what we need to do as we transition, and that goes to military spouses too. Yes, right. Do not go it alone. You'll be successful when you're surrounded by those who want you to be successful. And I think for everybody else, you know, um, I, I live to inspire. I live to share stories, inspire create content for events for schools. I do virtual author visits, keynotes, I do it in English and Espanol. You know, people can reach out to me on LinkedIn with my entire name that I'm sure you'll share with them. Graciela Sato. Oh, yes. oh yeah. Same exact spelling. I, I'm i there on Instagram. I mean it's a long name, but I'm the only one, right? Yeah. Uh and then my my page, uh my personal page, which is where I like to invite people to come. That way you can see me as a person instead of a book. My personal page is grace tiscare satocom I'll wow. share that with you in writing. But oh yeah, that's yeah, where you come and I too. Yeah. Yeah. And then whatever people's interest is, if they want to you know, know about the books or if they want to, you know, how do you visit schools? How do I gauge my event? That's a, a good starting point. But okay. I, I just, I literally have created a company to create content, to inspire my good friend, Nina Vaca in Dallas, who's like this, you know, extraordinary woman entrepreneur, number one, fastest growing small business, you know, she, she said this about me. She said, Graciela, you are in the business of inspiration." And I changed it to I'm in the business of actionable inspiration because I don't think it's enough for you to just be, Oh, I'm so inspired. No, I'm there to show you how Mm. I want you to be inspired, but then like, okay, now what do I do? Like, Mm. I want you to be inspired. And then here's how, here's how to do that thing. Right. So that's everything that I do. Rafael is about that. And I just serve communities that I love. That's what I do.
0: All righty. So thank you, Graciela. Um, I should have said, gracias. Um, Muy bien. Uh, uh, yeah, I know Japanese too. Arigato. Arigato.
1: Oh, yes.
0: I know how to Domo say thank you in a couple of... Domo That's the full one, by
1: the
0: way. Yes, yeah, say, Domo I, I, arigato yeah. Domo, Domo arigato o
1: gozaimashita.
0: gozaimashita.
1: That's like the formal thank you so very much.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, kind of I, like, I thanks. I think yeah, I, I stopped at domo arigato. I think that's where my my attention span ended. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, people know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah.
0: but can't thank you enough. Uh, we'll definitely arrange for a part two. And yeah, this is this has been beautiful. So, um, thank you to everyone who joined us. Um, uh, don't forget to share with your friends and loved ones. And yeah, continue to give us five stars on iTunes, Acast, Stitcher, and leave wonderful reviews. And yeah, keep the love going. And thank you all for the privilege of your company. Thanks for listening to White Label American. If you enjoy the show, we'll appreciate if you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. If you have any questions, comments, or have someone who will be a good guest on the show, or you want to be on the show, send us a message at whitelabelamerican at gmail.com. And make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at whitelabelamerican. Thank you for your support.